Hello, welcome back to another episode of The Word of Pod. This is Dr. Matthew Steinfeld, and this is Season 7, Episode 4. And today we will be in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. Last time we spoke about this vision that Paul had received to go up to Jerusalem to talk about circumcision, because he said that something, this matter arose uh, because of some false believers. That's in chapter 2, verse 4. Paul goes up to Jerusalem. He brings Barnabas and Titus. Titus is a Greek. Barnabas is a Jew. And they discuss this issue related to circumcision. And even though Titus is a Greek, he comes to the conclusion that he does not need to be circumcised. Now, this is important because Paul is using this, this story that happened in his past that was talking about his ministry and how it related to the ministry of the Jews in Israel, specifically in Jerusalem, Peter and the so-called apostles, super apostles that Paul mentions. The reason why Paul is doing this is because he is addressing the Galatians about their issues, about their kind of a backsliding switch in terms of their beliefs and Christian practice, their lifestyle, how they express their Christianity, is moving towards this Jewish culture. And that's not necessarily bad, but when they start to supplement the gospel and eventually replace the gospel with these specific traditions, including circumcision, that's when it becomes a problem. So Paul is is referring back to this issue that he has experienced personally in his ministry and how it also ties into the ministry of the Jewish apostles who are in Jerusalem, all for the purpose of making the argument, which I think is very strong, that the Galatians now, who are now seeking to be Jewish in order to be Christians, in order to do that, it undercuts what they are actually trying to do. Because if Paul can prove that the not only did he experience that and overcame that, but also that the very apostles in Jerusalem are saying that Paul is correct, that validates Paul's argument to the Galatians. So, he spends a lot of time uh, kind of talking down about the apostles, but also then using them to supplement his own arguments to the Jewish people. Paul spends some time talking and making references to the apostles in kind of a, uh, a diminished way, but then he uses them to supplement his own ministry to the Galatians to prove to them. So all of this is an attempt to validate his argument to the Galatians. And he spends uh, almost an entire chapter validating himself through that of the apostles. So last episode ended with the apostles giving Paul the right hand of fellowship, meaning that they were not necessarily 100% in agreement, but in support of each other and the common message of the gospel. So that brings us to today's passage. So starting in verse 11 of chapter 2, we see kind of a reversal of setting. The previous chapter was Paul going into Jerusalem to speak to the Jewish people on in regard to their terms, in regard to their practices, or at least their former practices, when they were Jewish. But 
Now we're talking about when Peter and some people sent from Jerusalem come to Galatia. And we have a similar scenario. So in verse 11, it says, When Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. NIV translates condemned. This could be translated convicted. He stood, he stood guilty. He was apparently in the wrong. He gives the reason why in verse 12. For before certain men came from James. Okay, James is the brother of Jesus. James is in Jerusalem. So we have Peter in Galatia, and James is there, or, or people sent from James. It says, for before, okay, this is at a time prior to what he's about to mention. Before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. Okay, so that shows that Peter had some awareness and at most the conviction that Jews and Gentiles that were under Christ were no longer bound by cultural restrictions and certain things that were prescribed in the, the law of Moses that indicated that that people who are in the family of God, those who are circumcised, those who have entered into a covenant with Yahweh, are not to eat, are not to marry, are not to interact uh, at, at an intimate level or even at some basic levels of interaction with those who are outside the family of God for the sake of defilement, especially those who were in the land that the Israelites were going into. So it shows that Peter is seeing that something has happened within this Jesus movement that now frees him to be among those who are in the Gentiles, who are pagans, who are not Jewish circumcised believers. But he says in verse 12, But when they arrived, those people came from James. When those people came from James who were Jewish, it said that Peter began to draw back, or he began to withdraw, he began to separate himself, set himself apart. You see, this the language that Paul is using here, that, that the NIV translates separate, is in terms of Jewish cultural ritualistic practices, setting apart that which is holy, that which is unholy. So the separation here is coming from originally a prescription from God that the Jews are not to, to, to defile themselves by being among those who are uncircumcised. But it's grown, we can see, into a perspective maybe that, that Peter has that, that he recognizes in the people in James. So when they come, it causes him to practice those, those mindset that they're superior, that the Jew Jewish people are holy and set apart and therefore superior. So what we're dealing with here is, is a bit of racism. He began to withdraw. He began to separate himself. Okay, That is, metaphorically in the Old Testament, holy from unholy. Separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. That's those who came from Jerusalem. And I think that these are Christians coming from James... Or they could be a part of these Judaizers that we've mentioned the Judaizers before. They were Jewish people from who were in the the Jewish diaspora amongst people who were who had become Christians and, and they're trying to convince them to become Jewish. I think these are the false teachers that Paul has mentioned before in chapter one. But also I think it very well could be Christians 
real legitimate Christians that are coming from a more Jewish-centric location. It's, it's interesting. The NIV translates it, the circumcision group, as if it's some vague group. But it says he was afraid of those. I mean, we could literally translate. It. He was afraid of the. He was afraid of the circumcision. The, those people who came from the circumcision. NIV's uh, providing the word group here. So, verse thirteen. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. So that was. It's it's unclear about who this who these other Jews are. So we have the other Jews that are with Peter. Then we have the circumcision group. That and and it and they could be the same group. They may be uh, illegitimate Christians that are teaching to be Christians to become Jewish, and and then they may also be a different group. That's that's people that have come from James. Either way, they were convincing to Peter to withdraw himself from the Jews. So, verse thirteen: the other Jews joined him in in this hypocrisy. So we have this group that's come that's infiltrated the church that came at the time that Peter was with Paul in Antioch and there were Jews from James that came later to see Peter and these Jews that came to see Peter that knew Peter they were affected by this outside group to live more closely to the law of Moses despite being Christians now, this outside group, I think, is the false Christian group, false teachers that, that Paul's talking about, but it had an impact on legitimate Christians who were Jewish. Continuing in verse 13, so that by their hypocrisy, okay, the hypocrisy of Peter and his friends who showed up, their hypocrisy led Barnabas, who is Jewish, to be led astray. Could also translate led astray as accommodated to um, that he accommodated their requests or he accommodated what they suggested he do. So remember, Barnabas is Jewish, Titus is not Jewish. Titus was convinced that he shouldn't become circumcised. Now we see that on the other end, Barnabas is is thinking because he's Jewish, he now needs to start re re upping his Jewishness now that this group has come into their ranks. But Paul has a problem with this, and rightfully so. It says, Paul says in verse 14, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the gospel, the truth of the gospel, actually. Not, not acting in line means that they weren't being straightforward. They, 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 they were something, there was something happening that was shady. There was something that they were doing that wasn't genuine and authentic. That they weren't being straightforward, so it suggests that they were acting somewhat crooked. And this crookedness is in relation to the truth of the gospel, which is what? What is the truth of the gospel, and why would this Jewish action or precaution to separate oneself from the Gentiles be in violation of the gospel? Well, in order to understand this from Paul's perspective, we could look at the book of the Ephesians. Now, Paul's letter to the Ephesians addresses this issue that the, the, the barrier or the division wall between Christians, uh, well, Jewish Christians, and pagan Christians has now been divided because of Christ. What does the truth of the gospel have to do with this division? Well, 
the whole idea, and we've what I mentioned just a second ago about being separated or being holy as the people of God in terms of the law of Moses, what set people apart was the holiness that God provided them based on their obedience. Now, the same thing applies in Christ, is that those who are obedient to Christ, those who have their trust and faith in Christ, have been saved, they have been purified in terms of ritualistic purity and cultic purity, in terms of their religious righteousness. They are are clean now because of Christ, not because of their perfection in terms of the law, not in terms of their Jewishness, their heritage, their external things like circumcision. So if the if the gospel is based on grace and based on the works of Christ and based on the faith of the individual in Christ, which again, I said last episode, we're going to get into that uh, in terms of what that what Paul actually means by faith in Christ or the faithfulness of Christ. But if it's based on that, then all these other little merits, these other practices are insubstantial. They're they're not important. They aren't they shouldn't be emphasized as these people were in terms of their social interactions with fellow believers. So when he says in verse 14 that they weren't acting in line with the truth of the gospel, he was saying that it goes directly, it violates the gospel and everything that they believe about Christ to separate each other among race and amongst other prejudices. Or it may not just be a racial thing, it may may them be them thinking that their previous religious uh, practices are superior to that which Jesus has prescribed. Both are bad, but it, it could actually be both. So I said that before that that Paul used the apostles, the twelve, as validation for his ministry, but he also kind of downplayed them, and he and he's kind of going to start downplaying Peter again. He says, "I said to Cephas in front of them all, you were a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew,' meaning he's Jewish and he." Formerly was a Jew, but he's still ethnically a Jew, but now he lives like a Gentile because of Christ, meaning that not that he's doing bad things, but that he he no longer feels obligated to follow these specific rules that were prescribed in the law of Moses. So he says, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. So if you live like a Gentile, you eat with the Gentiles, you you minister now, you've come to visit us, you, you've hung out with us, you've spent time with us. You're living like a Gentile. You're not holding to your Jewishness. How is it then that you force or compel Gentiles to follow the Jewish customs? Meaning, now that these Jewish people have shown up and they're telling everybody that they need to be Jewish in order to be Christian, he's saying to Peter, if you shook my hand and you told me that that we had the same fellowship and we had the same ministry and that the Jews and the Gentiles were equal in Christ's eyes, how can you now start telling people and influencing my friends like Barnabas into following these Jewish practices? How can you compel them or force them to follow these practices when you weren't even living that way? It's showing his, his hypocrisy. He's saying, basically, Peter, pick a side. If you're going to come spend time with Gentiles and, and then say everything's cool, and then when the Jews show up, you change your tune, that, that's, that's hypocrisy. Keep in mind that this is an apostle. That it's going to be his. His actions are going to be influential on them. 
to Paul's disadvantage. So the next verse is a little bit sarcastic. He says, we who are Jews, he's talking to Peter, we who are Jews by birth, natural birth, and he says, and not sinful Gentiles, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Now we could read this verse very literally, and now it looks like Paul's being racist. It looks like Paul's being saying things about the Gentiles that, that, that he doesn't actually believe. He's not saying that Jews are sinless by birth and, and Gentiles are sinful by birth. He's being sarcastic here because when, when he uses this word hamartaloi, it literally means sinners and it can be used towards someone that is caught in sin, say a prostitute, tax collector, someone who's, who's cheating or someone who's uh, breaking uh, laws. Now, it's also used as kind of a slang word, and this is getting back to this perspective of being set apart. Sinners are those who are dead in their sin, those who are apart from God. Now, everybody acknowledges, both Jew and Gentiles, in this setting, that sinner, that everybody's a sinner, that everyone sins. Paul is not saying that Gentiles are sinners and Jews aren't. What he's saying is, is that there's, they, they called outsiders homartoloi, sinners. That isn't implying that Paul and Peter aren't sinners or that Jews aren't sinners, but it is implying that that was the name that, that they used for those who were outside, those who were set apart. So Paul is kind of, or Paul is making kind of a crack at, at Peter saying, look, you've set yourself apart and we know that Jews, us Jews by birth are not like sinful Gentiles and that, there, that a person is not justified by the deeds of the law. Paul's point is that everyone's a sinner. Paul's point is that no one is justified by works. So he's saying, well, you think you're a Jew by birth, naturally born this way, and the sinful Gentiles are different than you. But he says, we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. Now, this is getting into the issue that I mentioned uh, earlier about this, it's a, it's a genitive. A genitive is a noun construction. So we say, we can say, um, you know, my Bible. Now, in, in terms of Greek, we can say, um, the, we can use the genitive case, which is a grammatical a form, and we could say, I could say in English, perhaps, the Bible of Matt. Now, the Bible of Matthew is, is not necessarily uh, a, a natural way to say it. You would say Matthew's Bible. Now, if depending on the construction, the subject genitive is, it's emphasizing the subject. So, um, if we say the faith of God, or the, the faith the faith in Christ. I don't know, it's difficult to translate in English, but it's basically like faith, faith Christ. If the subject is Christ, it's the faithfulness of Christ. But if Christ is the object, it's faith in Christ. Now, here's the issue, is that there has been recently... 
I guess you could say recently, but probably over the last 15 years or so, 20 years, uh, there have been uh, probably longer than that, probably 30 years. There's been this debate, and we cannot get into you know the deep end of this, but there's this debate around the new perspective versus old perspective of Paul. The new perspective of Paul advocates that when Paul uses this genitive construction, which is basically faith and Christ in the genitive form, that he primarily... Now, this isn't the, 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 the stance of everyone who holds to this new perspective. It's very varying within this camp. But defenders of the, the traditional view, which hold this to be uh, subjective, uh, a subjective genitive, they like to lump the, or they typically do lump the new perspective guys into a main camp in order to argue against them. The new perspective on Paul perspective, if we can call it that, says primarily the new perspective on Paul emphasizes that when Paul speaks of faith, he's not talking about people's faith in Christ Jesus. He's emphasizing the faithfulness of Christ. Now, I know this is problematic because it's a slippery slope. If we say that, well, it's not about people's faith, it's about Christ's faithfulness, well, then that, that undercuts the traditional view of the gospel, that faith is required, that belief is required. And I don't think that it's either or, and I don't think it's black and white, all or nothing. I think that Paul uses both, and he does it, he uses both in this passage, which is very, very helpful for us. Because in theological circles, it's easy to debate. It's easy to put people in a box and then argue against that. It's kind of like a straw man uh, argument or fallacy. This happens a lot, and I think these two camps are speaking past each other and aren't necessarily getting into, uh, I would say, the real message. Now, I know that um, there's been a lot of debate. There's been a lot of ink on this topic and and it gets into the nitty-gritty and it gets into very very specific uses of this construction and that's all good but there still is no consensus in terms of uh, the, the two camps but let's let's get into the text here because I think it will make more sense if none of that makes sense just forget it uh, it's it's not necessarily important for us to understand uh, this letter as a whole, but it is something that the more you get into it, especially the writings of Paul, you will get, uh, you'll come across this. But for now, let's just suspend our belief, holding in the back of our mind that we can both translate this faith in Christ and the faithfulness of Christ. So he says, we know, verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ. So, so this second part of the verse in 16, so we too have put our faith in Christ is very clear. It's not that construction. 
So what it what that is doing is it's validating what was just said. This gen this this genitive construction is referring to faith in Christ. We too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may just be justified by faith. Now, justified can be translated vindicated, made right, declared right. It's a legal stance. It's it's a declaration of something that we may be justified by faith in Christ. Now, why it's important, the difference, whether it's faith in Christ or the faithfulness, faithfulness of Christ, is that I think Paul is making the argument here, we're not justified by our works, by what we do, by our deeds. We're justified by f- the faithfulness of Christ. Now, before anyone gets mad at me and says, well, that's not the gospel. Paul backs this up by saying, so we too. Christ is faithful. We're saved by his faithfulness, by his obedience, by the declaration that God has put upon him as Lord and now has given him all the power and authority. Christ's faithfulness has earned our salvation. So he says, so we too have put our faith in Christ. We're saved by the faithfulness of Christ, but we have put our faith in Christ so that we may be justified. So salvation comes from Christ's faithfulness, but we put it, but, but Christians put faith in Christ in order that they may be vindicated in the same way Christ has been vindicated. So it's really important that both coexist. It's not either or, and this again is my opinion. And you will read other things that say it's only this, it's only that, but I think it's much richer and more full if we if we hold both of them in the same in the same balance. So so it says that we may just be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. I think what he's emphasizing here too is he's mentioned works, which can be translated as deeds or actions. And faith is an action. We aren't just justified by our faith in what we believe. We're, we're justified, Christians are justified by what Christ has done. If it was just based on belief, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it would be a result of our thoughts or our actions or what we're doing. And I think that that's what that Paul is getting at, is that the Jewish people are thinking, well, we're saved because of what we do. And Paul's saying, no, you're saved because of what Christ has done. And you believe in that, and therefore you have received vindication. It's not an automatic thing where you believe and you receive this vindication. It, it comes from Christ. It's not just this objective thing. It's something that one receives from Jesus after Jesus has received this from God. So we believe in what Christ has done, and that vindicates uh, the Christian. I know we're kind of getting into the weeds here. But let's just keep keep going, and hopefully it will become more clear. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith. When one puts their faith in Christ, they are justified by Christ. In Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. This is important. Uh, this is an important statement. By, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. It's not possible. For one, 
it's impossible, meaning that people cannot live up to the expectations of God. People cannot live up to the law of Moses. It's impossible for people to live that way because everyone will make a mistake. But let's just hypothetically suggest for a moment that one could. If one could live a perfect life according to the law of Moses, if that were possible, it still wouldn't matter because that is not the standard. This is also a big misunderstanding. It's not just that it's impossible to do, meaning that someone is not capable of doing it, but it's also impossible because that is not the means by which God judges people. In Christ or not in Christ, that is the standard. That is the judgment. Yes, the law was important to bring about sin, but that was also because people were incapable of following it. The emphasis here is that the standard, the way people are judged, is not by the works of the law. He just said it. It's not by the works of the law that someone's justified by God. They're justified by their faith in Christ who is faithful. It's really important to understand that. It's not possible to do, but it's also not the means by which someone is judged, even if it is perfect. The reason someone is judged is whether they are trusting in Christ as Lord. Okay, verse 17. But if in seeking to be justified by Christ, that's that's wishing to be vindicated through something that Jesus did. If we seek that, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Meaning that, Peter, you've, you've followed Jesus, you've recognized him as Lord, you've recognized your need for him, and when you start to recognize your need for Jesus, it indicates that you have fallen short, that you have fallen short of the law, that it is in fact impossible to do. We ourselves also among the sinners. This is, in, if we take 15 literally, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, it makes Paul look like, like he's doing the same thing Peter's doing. But it, it clears this up in 17. He says, because if we seek to be justified by Christ, we find ourselves also among the sinners. We're also equal to them in terms of our guiltiness. Doesn't that mean, does that mean Christ promotes sin? Well, there was, there was a antinomism stance that um, that's present here. There was a stance that said that, oh, we're, we're religious by name, and if Christ promotes sin, and I think this was a pagan view, if Christ promotes sin, let's all become Christians, and then we can do what we want and be free from our sin. That's the exact opposite of what Peter's saying. Peter is saying, well, let's follow the law, and God will love us and, and consider us vindicated because we follow the law and, and keep the traditions. That was the Jewish stance, or the false teachers that have infiltrated uh, the Galatian church here. So, Paul's trying to cover both bases. He's saying, don't be, don't be legalistic thinking that God's going to vindicate you because of your, your accuracy and your law-abiding. But also, on the other hand... He's not just because we admit that we're sinners too, like the Gentiles. It doesn't make it doesn't make a God a promoter of sin, and it also indirectly backs up what I just said earlier that the purpose of the law was never meant to save; it was only meant to reveal sin. Yes, it's impossible to follow the law, but that's not why it doesn't work. It doesn't work because it never meant to save. 
It only meant to expose. So he's saying God's not, just because God gave us the law, it doesn't mean he's trying to promote sin. It's just that it was meant to reveal people's sinfulness. It doesn't mean that Christ promotes sin. Absolutely not. Meganatoi. It's kind of like saying, it's, in a, in a, it's not necessarily an expletive. It's, it is in an optative mood. It's, it's, it's kind of like saying, hello, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an optative. It's kind of like saying, hell no. It's kind of like saying, absolutely not, by no means necessary. Uh, of course not, but with force. So verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, now what's he talking about? He's talking about his old life. This, this verb that's translated rebuild could also be uh, the verb erect or to raise up a building. If I rebuild what I destroyed, which is the way I used to live, then I really would be a lawbreaker. You see, they're, they're trying to follow the law in order to get in God's good graces, or at least Peter's trying to get in the good graces of the Jews. But he's saying, if you actually move towards the law in order to vindicate yourself, you're actually becoming more sinful. You're actually being a breaker of this law of God. Why? Because in 19... Through the law, I died. I died to the law so that I might live for God. This word, um, it's actually, a, it's, a, it's two words. Soon, which is with, and starao, which is crucified, or I was killed. Now, he's literally saying, I died. I was crucified with someone. That, that even though physically he wasn't crucified, Christians died with Christ on the cross. And when they died, their flesh died. And the guilt that, that they were to receive under the law, punishable by death, they were killed, and now the record is straight. But here's the thing about the resurrection. The importance of the resurrection is that we died with Christ. Christians died with Christ only to be resurrected, which means... And there's a lot of imagery like this in 1 Corinthians about marriage, that, that if, you're, if you're married to someone and you die, then your spouse is free from the covenant that they made of marriage, and they're free to marry someone else. It's the same thing with, with God. In the, in the desert, the people made a covenant with God, but if they die in Christ, then they're free from that covenant of law, punishable by death even more so if God dies. If God dies, then it's equally the covenant is abandoned. So, here's the issue. The Christian dies in their previous life with Christ so that they might live for God and be resurrected with the Spirit Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Okay, here's this emphasis on not just deeds or, or my, the, 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 the great uh, sustaining efforts of my faith, but rather that Christ's faithfulness in me lives. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Okay, there's another reversal. So he says, Christ lives in me. Christ's faithfulness lives in me through the Spirit. But I now live in the body living by faith. It's both. It's so important that both of these 
are um, held together. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, on behalf of me, you could translate. So look, he says, here's another play on words. Verse 21, I do not set aside. I don't set it aside. I don't nullify the grace of God in the same way that the, the death with Christ nullified the flesh, or in the same way Peter sets aside what's holy and unholy based on the Jewishness or circumcision. I don't set aside, or I, don't, I don't nullify or ignore the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Now, if that isn't the most impactful sentence of this discussion, uh, I don't know what is. He's saying if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Not only is it, when I say impossible, I mean people aren't able to do it. It's extremely difficult and maybe almost uh, impossible. But what Paul is also saying is that righteousness never could be gained from the law, not because people aren't able to do it, because that's what the, the law was never meant to do that. The only way is through Christ's faithfulness and the Christian's faith in Christ's faithfulness. So and I think I think he used this construction because it is it is interchangeable. Faith in Christ, faithfulness of Christ. But what's he saying ultimately to Peter? He's saying you think that what you're doing is, in, is helping you or enhancing your relationship with God or your standing in His sight. But if that's true, then Jesus died for nothing. The reason why Jesus died is because you're a sinner, Peter. Not, he, he, didn't, he didn't die so you uh, could live this righteous and, and holy life and never make mistakes. Now, he calls them to live righteously, but what Peter's trying to do is to earn his righteousness and according to his Jewish practices, which is against the gospel. If that were needed, Christ died for nothing. Okay, pretty pretty lengthy discussion. <clears throat> if you have any questions about this, contact me on Instagram at the Word of Pod. I'd love to answer any questions. Uh, I know that that it's hard to wrap up, you know, certain discussions that that tons and tons of volumes have been written on but we're trying to keep it we're trying to keep it at a certain level here and um, I hope that wasn't too uh, in-depth or, or or unclear I want to say thanks you know thank you for listening to the podcast it means a lot to me I appreciate um, your engagement and if you would please like uh, the podcast on the platform that you use share it with somebody if you think it'd be helpful uh, and always, you know, thank you for listening and we'll see you again next time.